All right, well, thank you. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, we're continuing our, our series, The Pursuit of Rest. And we're right in the middle of talking about this idea that we were created for this rhythm of work and rest, to experience uh, peace, to experience delight when we choose to stop, especially through the discipline of Sabbath. And today we're going to look at a, a hugely important topic as we consider our rest, and that is the topic of work, the relationship between rest and work, rest and activity. Because ultimately, one of the simplest but important, most important truths is that our willingness to rest depends on how we feel about our work. Um, I thought about this series last weekend as I was uh, watching the NFL playoff game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, the Chiefs were heavily favored to win this game, uh, in large part because of their star quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who is awesome. He's, he's probably going to be the MVP of the league this year, and he is a big reason why they're so good. But at the end of the first quarter, disaster struck. The score was tied 7-7. Seven to seven. Mahomes gets tackled, and, and his, another player rolls onto his leg, and you can see in the replay his ankle just kind of bend in the wrong direction. And it looks like a pretty uh, nasty injury. And Mahomes is in obvious pain. You can see it right away that he's hurting, that he's injured. And so he's just kind of like hobbling around, struggling to throw, struggling uh, even to hand off the ball uh, to another player. But even with that, for as hurt as he clearly was, he did not want to come out. As I said two weeks ago, nobody likes being told to stop. And when the coaches brought him out to have the ankle checked out, he was visibly frustrated. He was so angry to be taken out. But in the end, he came back in the game. He was clearly still hurt, clearly not 100%. And, and commentators are wondering, is he going to hurt the ankle further? Is he going to hurt his team? But he kept on playing, and he led the Chiefs to a 27-20 win. And after the game, Mahomes said this about his decision to keep playing, about his feelings, about coming out of the game. He says, I'm not coming out of a playoff game unless they take me out. I love this sport too much. I love playing with my teammates. We prepare all year to be in these games. Now, Mahomes' attitude is not super surprising. This is pretty much what we expect from high-level athletes. This attitude, man, this is the playoffs. We play to win. There's no way I'm going to sit out with so much at stake. Now, obviously, none of us are high-level athletes. None of us are playing for a Super Bowl or a legacy as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But I, I do think there's still something about this mindset that rings true for us and how we feel about work. And there's this clear relationship between rest, and our ambition. Uh, we all have goals, dreams, things we want to accomplish, and we work really hard for those things. And sometimes when we talk about rest, we feel a little bit like an injured Patrick Mahomes. This is my life. I, I have things to do, things to pursue. I can't stop. I can't rest because there is so much at stake. There's so much on the line. And so this is a tension that, that we need to address. That as much as you, know, you might be beginning to be more open 
to the possibility of rest. Be open to the possibility of maybe delighting in Sabbath. The question is, can I slow down in light of all of my hopes and dreams and ambitions? How do I reconcile, reconcile the value of rest with the importance of work? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look today at one of Jesus' most well-known teachings. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, as a lot of you probably know, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' main preaching on kingdom living. What it means to be a person under the kingship of Jesus. And, and the Sermon on the Mount is full of all these kind of new values and ways of living that reflect Jesus is king. Now, our passage this morning and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it isn't explicitly about work or, or rest. But instead, this, this passage that we're going to look at captures the heart of kingdom living in a way that I believe speaks to our beliefs about work and rest. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 33 right now. We're going to come back to the, the context of this verse in a little bit, but I want to just start here with this one simple verse. Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Again, this verse doesn't at first glance appear to be about work or rest, but what this, this verse does is it forces us to ask a question of ourselves that ultimately has huge implications for this tension between work and rest. And that question is, what are you seeking? What do you seek with your time, with your energy? What do you seek with your work and your activity and all the things that you do with your time? In his book, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan makes what I think is a really interesting observation. He points out that most of us don't really like work all that much. Most people don't really love their jobs. Now, as someone who is paid to be your pastor, this obviously doesn't include me. I love my job all the time. But let's be honest. Work is hard. We may enjoy aspects of our job. We may love what we're called to do. We might appreciate the value of our work. But at the end of the day, work is a source of so much stress and frustration. Think about how much time you spend complaining about your job, worrying about your job. How many times have you just kind of sat at home and hoped you would get sick, but not too sick, just sick enough so that you didn't have to go to work? Right, we deal with unreasonable deadlines long hours, annoying coworkers, insensitive bosses, and that's just work here at CBC. <laughs> right, most of us don't, don't want to be at work all the time. Let me add to that, I don't think most of us want the constant activity of life, this go-go way of living that culture pushes us towards. If you're a parent, you probably don't love being busy. You probably don't love going to activity after activity after activity. And Buchanan's point is important, right? That, that we're not busy because we love the work. 
We're not busy because we love all of the activity. Why are we busy? We're busy because of what we believe the work will give us. We're busy because of the dream of what hard work can get for us. Now let me just go backwards for a second to really kind of understand this idea. Let's go back to the garden, back to creation, back to Genesis 1, we talked about a couple weeks ago. But one of the things that happens in Genesis 1, when God creates us, when God creates humankind, man and woman, it says that he creates us in his image. And there's a lot that goes on to that, but the basic idea is that we reflect God's goodness, his character, his kingdom in the world around us. And part of that image bearing immediately in Genesis 1, after it talks about that, is work. We have work to do as image bearers. At the very least, that includes ruling over the animals and sustaining, nurturing life uh, in the world. And in the garden, in, in Genesis 1, before sin, all of this work happened in the context of a perfect relationship with God. So you have to understand that when we worked, we had this perfect sense of identity and value. Our lives had meaning. Our work and our purpose were, were perfectly aligned. And so work was good. We enjoyed work. We loved work. Now, sin comes into the world in Genesis 3, and again, a lot happens. We're not going to get into all of that, but, but two things happen in relationship to this work dynamic. First, there's a disruption in our perfect relationship with God. So we no longer have this perfect intimacy with him. We no longer experience this perfect sense of identity and value. We, we no longer feel this constant, unceasing love and affection that we had before sin. We experience shame and insecurity about who we are and how we look. So that's one thing. But there's also a disruption in our relationship with work. After Adam sins, God says to him, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So this is when work gets hard. This is when work becomes blood, sweat, and tears because God says that brokenness has been introduced into the created order. And so it's going to require some toil. The ground will not serve us the way it used to. Work will be a struggle. And so what we experience now in our work is a consequence of these two disruptions. So on one hand, as we said, work is hard. Work is challenging. It's a struggle. It costs us our time and energy. But at the same time, work exists in the context of this first disruption as well. Because we experience work with this desire to reclaim that broken sense of identity and value and purpose and meaning and love. Work becomes another way of many ways that we deal with shame and insecurity. And so when we talk about our struggle to stop, when we talk about our struggle to rest, again, the problem isn't that we love work. It's not that we want to go to work all the time as much as we can. Instead, we can't let go of what work can give us. Because ultimately, work and activity, the things we do, 
it allows us to pursue these deep-seated needs for value and identity, for approval and affection, significance and status, achievement and accomplishment, security and stability. Anything and everything that makes us feel like, I'm okay. I'm good. I matter. I have value. I'm worthy. I'm safe. What we really want, what we're pursuing with our work is, is this dream, this dream that we all have of what work can give us. Now, probably each one of us in this room has a different version of this dream, a different expression of this need at a soul level. Some of us dream that someday we could be comfortable and stress-free. Some of us dream of being in control of our finances. Some of us dream of having a bigger house or a bigger, nicer kitchen. We have a dream that our kids will get into a great school and be safe and secure. Some of us dream about how people will view us when we're successful. We dream of being admired and approved of. We dream of a certain level of status and importance and significance. I think a lot of us dream of simply not being afraid, not having to worry, not being anxious about the future. And here's the thing, right? Like, this comes from something very natural. It's, it's a part of who we are. Having these dreams is understandable. It's natural to want these things. But here's where we really get in trouble. It's not that we have dreams. It's not that we have ambitions. It's not just that we want success. It's that we believe that success works according to this simple formula. Hard work equals success. Now, obviously, there's more to it than that. And we know that. His success involves a crazy intersection of uh, innate ability, luck, timing, opportunity, relationships. But you notice that none of those other things are under our control. You can't really grab onto those and choose them and, and get more of them. The only thing you can control is the hard work component. The only thing I can control in this crazy formula for success is how hard I work, how many hours I put in, how much I do. And so really, our busyness is a reflection of our belief in this formula. That the harder I work, the more successful I'll be in achieving all these dreams that I have for my life. I think most of us know we're supposed to trust God, and in many ways we want to, we try to, we think about it, we pray about it. But what's hard for us is that ultimately God is just another thing we can't control. God is just another thing that, that's out of our hands. And so while we try to trust him, I think in our hearts we still believe that it's on me. The dream it's my responsibility. If I want it, I have to work for it. And that manifests itself in uh, a lot of different ways. Again, everybody's different. Some people work 
long hours to, to get ahead. Some people worry constantly, and even though they don't work as long, they might bring work home with them. Maybe just mentally, they bear that burden constantly. Some of us never say no, because what we want is for people to like us and approve of us. Some search for every activity that gives us a leg up over others. Some of us exercise and eat right so that we look good and feel attractive. Some spend all of their time chasing likes and views on social media. All of these things are a function of this same formula. Do more to get what I need. And if you think about this paradigm, if you think about this way of living, it makes sense that rest would be really hard. In a lot of ways, if this formula is true, then rest makes no sense. Again, rest, you, you only rest as much as you need. You rest the minimum amount because you got to get back to the hard work. If I stop for too long, then I risk that dream just floating away. And it wear, this wears us out. It's tiring. A lot of times it feels like the harder we work, the, the further away that dream feels. And so it's this never-ending cycle of, of trying and striving and working, but then feeling like we have to try and strive and work even harder. So here's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. I think Jesus says this a lot when he, he, he speaks into our lives, into the way we view things. He's saying, there's a better way. There is a better way of viewing life. There's a better paradigm for how life works. As you'll say just a few chapters later, there is an easier yoke that I want to give you. Let's go back to our verse. I want to read this entire passage. And Jesus says here, he says, hey, I know you have dreams, I know you have needs, but you have to trust me in a real way. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food, and in the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, in some sense, on, on first glance, it does seem like the people Jesus is talking to are very different from us, They're struggling with maybe some more day-to-day -day needs than uh, people in our context. But when you think about it, 
They're not that different. Really, they're, they're just having anxiety about life and the future. They're worried about having enough. They're worrying about how they appear to others. They're worried about all the concerns of their normal life, the product of their work and their activity. One of the things we'll see later in the Gospels is how much the disciples are worried about being great, about being important. All of this stuff is part of this question, this anxiety that we're dealing with. And so Jesus is speaking to people who are different but have the same basic needs and dreams that we do. And so it's important to understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying, trust God and he'll give you everything you want. Trust God and he will give you your dream so you don't have to worry about it. Instead, what he's saying is that you can trust God to take care of you. That he will give you enough to meet those real and deep-seated needs that you have. And more importantly, what this passage is really about is that Jesus is saying is that if you have these dreams and desires and they conflict with your obedience to God, choose God. Because God will provide for you. God takes care of his creation. You can't count on any of that to give you what you need. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that the surest way to get what you need is to trust God and live the way he calls you to live. You just might need to let go of a little bit of your dream and trust completely in his dream for your life. Now, this is where it gets tough. This is where I know some of you are going to feel some resistance. Some of you are going to want to check out from this message because this isn't a fun idea for us and how we think about life. This isn't fun for us because we like the hard work, success way of living. But one of the things that the Bible and Jesus here is calling us to accept is that God has called us to every aspect of life. When we talk about God's calling, we're not just talking about being called to faith, being called to a relationship with him. We're called to a certain station in life. God has called us each to a certain kind of work, and God has called us to the natural results of that work, a certain financial situation, a certain standing in the world around us. All of that is under God's sovereign care and authority. And this is something that Christians believed for centuries, but only recently, in the last hundred years or so, we stopped talking about this. We stopped thinking about faith this way. John Calvin once said this, and you have to kind of get your way through the old-timey language, but this is a really powerful idea. He says, the Lord bids each of us in all life's actions to his calling. For he knows with what great restlessness human nature flames, with what fickleness it is born hither and thither, how its ambition longs to embrace various things at once. That sounds like us. Therefore, lest through our rashness everything be turned topsy-turvy, he has appointed duties 
for every man and woman in his particular way of life. Therefore, each individual has his own kind of living assigned to him by the Lord as a sort of sentry post so that he may not heedlessly wander about through life. In the old hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful, C.F. Alexander puts it very simply. The rich man in his castle, the poor man at his gate, God made them high and lowly and ordered their estate. Now, for us today, that, that, it might sound a little bit messed up. It might rub us the wrong way a little bit. Because we've been raised with the idea that we decide who orders our estate. We decide whether we're in the castle or at the gate. But this isn't meant to be oppressive. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be freedom. And this doesn't mean that hard work doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we don't have an impact on our lives and our futures. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try because God just has life on the self-driving setting and so we just sit back and see what happens. That's that's not the implication of, of this passage or these quotes. It simply means that our formula for success is wrong. Success isn't hard work. And success isn't whatever dream we have for ourselves. Success is trusting God and trusting that what he says is success for your life, even if it might be different for someone else's life, that it's good. That whatever kingdom life leads you to in your particular calling God will provide for you and be good to you. And what that means is that we can work hard. We can pursue achievement. We can have deep desires and hopes and dreams. But what it means is that we accept the limits that come with obedience to God. That if pursuing achievement comes into conflict with what God says is good, then we reconsider that achievement. If our hopes and dreams force us to abandon God's way of living, we have to rethink those desires. And if working hard comes up against the way God wants us to live, comes up against the way that God says is good and blessed, then we have to accept that we might have to deal with the consequences of slowing down. And that means accepting a lot of things that are hard for us, right? That that, that this might impact how much money we make, how comfortable we are, what kind of house we have, what kind of car we drive. Our commitment to God might impact how people view us, how high of a position or status we reach. It might impact where we work, what kind of company we work for. It might mean we have to accept some uncertainty about our future, about our kids' futures. We just might have to let go of some control. And this really is the choice that we wrestle with when it comes to rest. 
as simple as it might sound to slow down, we know that it's not simple. Because God isn't just asking us to rest. He's asking us to trust him. All that stuff that means so much to us. And this is why the, the discipline of Sabbath or, or even just regular rest is so important. Why it's so meaningful. Why it's something that we believe we should still pursue. Because on one hand, Sabbath is a simple way to express that trust. Right? When we take a day off, when we take a few hours off, we're stopping to say, God, I trust you with my time. It's an aspect of, of obedience. But I think even more than that, what's important about Sabbath is that it helps us to build trust. It helps us to become the kinds of people who can willingly and joyfully seek the kingdom first. See, my guess is, as we talk about this idea of trusting God with all this stuff, my guess is that some of you feel pretty discouraged. Like, come on. Be realistic. I wish I trusted God that way. I would love it if I could believe that. I want to give God all of that control, but I have so much doubt. I worry constantly. I have tried. I don't know how. I don't have that in me. The reality is that that kind of trust, you can't just decide to have it. You don't just wake up one day and choose to trust God with all these things that you've wanted for your whole life and just say, you know what, I don't know. I don't even know what's going to happen, but I trust God with it. That takes so much time. It needs time to grow. We need to see God's goodness in our life. We need to see God's faithfulness. God earns that kind of trust as he shows up in our lives. And I think this is one of the really interesting things about Sabbath. Now, yes, Sabbath requires a little bit of faith to get started. It does. It does require that we have some trust. But more than that, it is a trust-building exercise. It is on Sabbath that we get to see God's faithfulness, his provision, his goodness. The beauty of Sabbath is that it is a day to stop and see God's bigness. It's a day where we allow God to be God, to take care of things. To pick up the pieces of our imperfect, unfinished work. To watch over and guard our uncertain finances. To speak into our sense of insecurity and fear and worry. To meet us where we are and be this big, faithful God who actually does, in real life, as we slow down and let him, take care of us. He works. He moves, even when we're not. Uh, as I was thinking about this idea of stopping to see God's bigness, it made me think for some reason of uh, our experiences on these trips to Baja to build houses. Many of you have done this. We used to go uh, twice a year before the pandemic. 
And um, I was starting to really enjoy these trips uh, before the pandemic hit. And one of my favorite parts of, of going to Baja, or one of my favorite moments every uh, day we would be working, is at some point in the afternoon, I would get tired and take a break to get some water and kind of walk around and see what was going on in the rest of the house. Now, when you go to Baja, usually during the course of the day, you end up with one particular task. So you kind of focus, you lock in on your one job, and you're usually kind of centered in one area of the house doing one particular thing. And I'm, the both times I've gone, or three times I've gone actually, I've, I've been up on the roof. So I'm up on the roof trying to figure out what I'm doing, and I don't really see the rest of the house. And so at some point I come down off the roof, I try not to fall off of it, and I get some water and I walk around the house, and all of a sudden it's like just this, this wonder at all the things that have happened while I was up on the roof. Like the drywall's up, the, the, the exterior is painted. Somebody built an outhouse. There's electricity being, and people are doing stuff with wires. And I'm always amazed at all this stuff that's happening because there's this whole other group of people who are working. There's these awesome dudes from Baja Christian Ministries who honestly could probably do this house by themselves without our help, but they're, they're working too. And what's cool is that walking around and seeing this, it never makes me feel like my work is insignificant. I've never once thought, well, did I even need to, to be here? I'm barely even helping with this roof, and all this stuff is happening without me. Instead, the thought that I always have is, wow, look at what I'm a part of. Look at what I'm contributing to. And I think this is what I love about going to Baja, is I get to work hard, very imperfectly, and there isn't this pressure. And at the end of the day, something really good gets built. And that's what I experience in that time of rest. I'll spend all day a day working, and I won't see this, but it's when I stop, you realize that all this stuff is happening that I don't get to see. And in a way, I think this is the invitation of Sabbath. That we stop, we look around, we take the time to see that so much is happening that we didn't predict, that we're not in control of. It didn't happen because of hard work, it happened because of grace. It happened because of blessing. God comes through for us in ways that we, we never expect or hope for. And, and we see this when we look for it. And so my practical suggestion for you as you continue to explore Sabbath is one of the best things you can do in two hours of rest or four hours of rest or 24 hours of rest is to pursue gratitude. To appreciate, to sit in wonder at God's work in your life. What he has already done and what he's continuing to do even as you stop. See, the temptation of the work success lies to believe that everything we have is because of us. To believe that we got to where we were because of hard work. Gratitude is the choice to see the truth. 
It's an intentional decision to seek God and his goodness in what we have. Gratitude grows our understanding of our faith in God's goodness. Another temptation of the work success lies to believe that we need more to be happy. See, gratitude allows us to enjoy what we have now, regardless of all the things we might not have yet. I think one of the cool things about Sabbath gratitude is that we remember how good life is in simple things, in people, in friends, in family, in food, in taking a nap, reading a book, walking around, doing things we enjoy. We remember how much life there is outside of that big dream we've convinced ourselves we need. Sabbath gratitude invites our hearts to see and be changed by God's bigness. And the hope is that over time, as we do this regularly, we begin to trust God with more. Not because we have to, not out of begrudging acceptance, but because we know that he is that big, because he, we know that he's that good, because we've seen it, we've experienced it through moments of, of rest with him. And so as hard as it might be, uh, keep pursuing rest. It does take a measure of trust. And so whatever, whatever you can give, whatever your trust allows you to give, a couple hours, a, a half a day, a full day, Keep trying it. Pursue gratitude. Accept this invitation to experience a God who is sovereign and good over your work, over your life, and over your future. Let's pray.